0: Welcome back to the AWB COVID-19 Employer Resources Webinar Series, presented by Primera Blue Cross. Today, AWB President Chris Johnson jumps into the employment law and employee benefits side of the COVID-19 discussion. He's joined by Brittany Pierce, member, Employment Rights, Benefits, and Labor Group Chair with Ryan Swanson and Cleveland, PLLC, Laura Morse, partner with Jensen Morse Baker, PLLC, Christine Thielen, firm counsel with Lane Powell, Scott Michael, Legal Services Coordination Manager with the Washington Employment Security Department, and Allison Drake, Senior Policy Advisor with the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries. The webinar will begin after this word from our sponsor.
1: Primera Blue Cross is in your corner, wherever it may be. We're at the corner of Pacific and Northwest, and in places that aren't measured by size. We're in your corner for the bumps in the road, and the long roads ahead. And we're in these corners, investing millions for mental health services and to fight teenage homelessness. Primera is also in these corners every day, making health care work better. We're Primera Blue Cross, and we're always in your corner.
2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to this week's webinar. My name is Chris Johnson, President of the Association of Washington Business. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We've got a great solutions-packed agenda for you. And I'll tell you, when we think about the issues facing in the employment law arena, we couldn't ask for a better set of panelists to join us today than what we have for you. Let me start by thanking and recognizing our sponsor, Primera, who's in your corner, making today's program possible for you. We have a great partnership with Primera, and I want to thank them for sponsoring this week's seminar. With us today is David Condon, the Vice President for Eastern Washington for Primera Blue Cross. Many of you recall David from his time as being the two-term mayor from the city of Spokane. We're pleased to have a great partner in Primera Blue Cross and a great partner in David Condon. Welcome back to the program, David. Take it away.
3: Well, thank you very much, Chris. Uh, Primera is committed to all corners of the state, and today we uh, we were joined by companies from across the state, and it's great to have AWB uh, be a resource for them. Just three quick things that Primera is doing. Uh, of course, customers are at the center of our decisions. It is our purpose to improve customers' lives by making healthcare work better. Thank you to AWB and the others on the line today to help uh, healthcare work better as a benefit uh, and also all the other questions. But first and foremost, Primera uh, early on decided to waive the cost shares uh, and deductibles for anything related to COVID testing and treatment and this cost this cost uh, waiver will continue through october 1st also things like hospitalizations and medical transports when needed have been um for and medications delivered as inpatient uh, and out-of-patient networks has been uh, waived Primera is extending our 30-day premium grace period to 60 days for our fully insured group so especially for our cash-strapped uh employers Primera is also waiving the cost shares and deductibles for our telehealth services, which over is uh, really being utilized extensively right now during this uh, turbulent time. And uh, we focus first on our customers, but also on our, care, our caregivers. Uh, Primera recently announced that it would provide up to $100 million in financial support in the form of advanced payments and claims to medical, dental, and behavioral health providers facing significant financial pressures due to the pandemic. And finally, at the center of all we do in our state is our community. And Primera is contributing more than $450,000 to community foundations across Washington and Alaska to support the most vulnerable uh, populations. And this is done through the Primera Social Impact Program. So again, in closing, thank you for letting us be a part of this. It is uh, through our membership and our customers uh, that we look to serve them. And if there are any questions, of course, uh, go to Primera.com on any of these things that I mentioned. Thank you again for letting us be a part of this important resource to our employers. The focus of today's webinar
2: is employment law and employment benefits. Today's speakers are uniquely qualified and poised to answer your questions about this ever-changing time in this ever-changing area of the law. With us virtually this morning, we're proud to have the following. Brittany Pierce a member of the Employment Rights Benefit and Labor Group and chair of that effort for Ryan Swanson and Cleveland. Laura Morris, partner with Jensen Moore Baker. Christine Thielen, firm counsel with Lane Powell. Scott Michael, Legal Services Coordinator Manager at the Washington Employment Security Department. Allison Drake, Senior Policy Advisor, Washington State Department of Labor and Industries. We welcome your questions about today's webinar. To do it, a reminder, just go to the right-hand corner of your program of the GoToMeeting app, introduce your question, and if you have it specifically tailored to an individual who you'd like to ask that question to. And a reminder, like each week, these are taped and replayed and available at awb.org, which is home to an outstanding COVID resource landing page for your use. And something new this week, we will be streaming this live on AWB tomorrow at 10 a.m. on Facebook. Be sure to like the Association of Washington Business Facebook page to catch what you missed today, or to share it with colleagues. And with that, I'd like to turn the program over to our first speaker, Brittany Pierce, the Employment Rights, Benefit and Labor Group Chair at Ryan Swanson in Cleveland. Brittany, take it away.
4: Good morning, I am with you. Nice to see you, and thanks everyone for being here today. I think we've got a lot of good information to cover. And I'll go ahead and give you a little background about myself before we launch into our other speakers and your questions and answers, of course. So, as Chris mentioned, I am chair of Ryan Swanson's um, Employment Rights, Benefits, and Labor Group. And if we can click to the next slide. Um, what I do regularly and what a lot of our firm does is work with company owners or HR professionals, essentially to keep you guys doing business and solve a lot of your problems. So. Um, I've been doing that for 17 years at Ryan Swanson. And of course now with the changing environment, we have coronavirus, we've created our own COVID-19 legal support team and I'm part of that as well. When I'm not doing all of these legal things, like probably many of you, I've started my own sourdough starter and I'm baking and eating a lot of sourdough bread. Um, but you know, legal issues are certainly taking up a lot of time these days. If We can pop to the next slide tell you a little bit about what we generally do for employers when we aren't handling these types of crises is just keep, as I said, your companies in business and handle a lot of your legal issues specifically with respect to employees. Handle a lot of um, your agreements, claims, disputes, investigations. We like to keep employers out of trouble. That's usually our goal. Sometimes they come to us a little later and have a problem and we're there to solve that, whether that is litigation or heading to court, arbitration. Otherwise, we are there to handle everything from the most mundane through the most complex of all of the employer-employee issues. Jumping to our next slide, um, with respect to our COVID-19 legal support team, as many companies have um, had to address these new issues and jump on all of the different aspects of their business, our firm has done that, of course, as well. Um, across all practice areas, not just employment. And so, as you can see, we've listed a number of things there that we handle and stay up to date on. Of course, all the new laws, advising, helping you understand how to run your business in these really challenging times. And um, we're doing a lot of that. On our next slide, you'll see uh, that we've just, a little more, our goal is really to help you, help you guys get back to your day-to-day business while we handle the legal issues that are coming up that you're facing today. And if you'll see the last slide we've got there, we've got some resources on our website that are for you guys, they're for everyone to look at. We keep those up to date. We've got frequently asked questions that we're responding to, in addition to the ones we'll be talking about today. Of course, just general resources. and wanna make sure we're getting the best information out there to all of you. So thank you very much.
2: Great. Thank you. Let's go on to our next speaker. Next up is Laura Morse, partner of Jensen, Morse, and Baker. Take it away, Laura.
5: Thank you so much. Thank you for putting this on. Thanks to Primera for sponsoring um, and for all the panelists for being here. This is exciting times. Maybe that's not the right word, but they're certainly interesting times. Uh, I just spoke on a panel with Bob Battles uh, with AWB not very long ago, and it seems like it was about 100 years ago in terms of the evolution of what has been happening. I won't give you my entire background other than to say I've been um, an employment attorney now for 16 years in my typical practices, trainings, handbooks, et cetera, lots of litigation and what I call triage. And as probably many of my other attorney co-panelists here, spending most of my time doing triage. and figuring out all of the updates as between the state, state agencies um, and the federal government, and oftentimes having to give the answer we don't know yet, which has always been um, a a frustrating piece, but we are getting closer to having a lot of the information we need. So I'm just excited to be here um, to be able to help answer some folks' questions. So without further ado, I know we have a few more to introduce, but um, I will stop so we can get on to those questions.
2: Great, thank you very much. Laura. All right. Laura is followed by uh, Christine Thielen, firm counsel from Lane Powell. Christine, are you with us?
6: I am. Thank you for having me today. It's my pleasure to to join you. Um, As as with the other attorneys who just spoke, we've all been doing triage, handling everything from helping employers figure out how to plan and communicate with respect to COVID-19 safety and business continuity issues, to what to do with a an employee who is tested positive to operational um, reductions because of of uh, what's happening and then uh, also the paid leave and how to manage the paid leave portion of things for employees who are impacted um, so lane powell has uh similar to other firms has set up a group who are really focused on that handling everything from the employee side to the business loan side and, and all of the other um side ramifications you don't even realize have hit because of, of the uh, public health emergency. I've been asked to spend a little bit of time just giving a very quick overview of the uh, Families First Coronavirus Response Act, since that is something we expect we're gonna get some questions on. So I'm gonna dive right back into that. It is a very quick overview. Um, I have provided a more extensive slide deck that is in the handout that's got a lot more detail, but my intent is to just give the really high level Uh, And I'm assuming we're going to get a ton of questions, we can dive into the details. So if you want to go ahead and flip the slide, um, you can move to the next. Um, So the the Family First Coronavirus Response Act has a number of elements to it related to employment. There's paid sick leave, extended FMLA leave, tax credits related to these two types of leave, and there's expanded unemployment benefits. Um, Since we have a representative who can handle the unemployment benefits, I'm going to focus on the leave portion. Um, It is benefits that are related to employers with under 500 employees, and this leave that is being given is starting uh, April 1 and goes through the end of the year. Go ahead and flip the slide. There are a number of reasons that people can use the qualified paid sick leave. Um, The key to remember, though, is the sick leave is for employees who are unable to work or telework. So if you're able to have them working remotely and they're able to do that while working remotely, then this sick leave would not qualify. Um, But if they are unable to work or telework because of one of these reasons, they would be eligible for sick leave. Some are very obvious if somebody's been told to self-quarantine or care for somebody who self-quarantine or thinks they may have the virus. Uh, A couple of the more um, touchy ones is subject to a quarantine or isolation order. I will caution you that just because washington has a stay-at-home order doesn't mean everybody qualifies for paid sick leave um uh in washington so you have to be very cautious in how you approach that particular one again they have to be able unable to work because of that isolation order and i'm I'm sure i'll get a question to clarify that later Uh, and then the other more controversial one has to do with children being out of school everybody's child is out of school now and so um anyone who's a parent is going to uh potentially qualify for this as well um, let's go ahead and flip the slide like i said this is the fast version of this um essentially it's two weeks of paid sick leave uh, and it's, it's essentially prorated if somebody's not working full-time um it is to be offered in addition to anything else the employers are already offering um so uh be sure that sh to, to um uh keep that in mind that uh they get this in addition to there are limits on intermittent use essentially if somebody can work remotely or they're taking time to take care of a child they can use intermittent um with agreement of the employer but there are limits to you you can't use intermittent if somebody's using it related to exposure to the virus and i can expand on that later if someone needs that um there are two pay rates depending on the reason that they're taking leave um 511 a day for um if the person themselves, the employee themselves is experiencing issues or need to self-quarantine. And the remaining ones only get paid at two thirds of their pay, up to $200 a day. Um, so keep that in mind that there are two rates there. Both of those are eligible for tax credit. Um, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on tax credit, but essentially 100% of your costs for providing this leave, um, the wage costs can be reimbursed through the typical payroll um, taxation process. Go ahead and do the slides. Expanded qualifying, uh, standard FMLA qualifying reasoning is solely related to children uh, taking care of a child whose school or place of care is closed. Uh, and so, it's the only reason that we're expanding FMLA. Go ahead and end slide. A uh, couple things to keep in mind for eligibility. If anyone employed 30 days or more is eligible. And if someone's been laid off since March 1st, there's an additional ability to qualify. So, keep that in mind. Go ahead and do slides. Uh, it is up to 12 weeks. So included in the 12 weeks of fmla leave so if somebody's already used six weeks of fmla leave they would only have six weeks of this expanded fmla leave left first two weeks are unpaid with the intention that people would be able to use other paid time off to fill in the pay for those two weeks the remaining leave is paid at two-thirds of the salary Uh, and here again intermittent leave if the employee and the employer agree go ahead and slide. There are a couple of exemptions. There's a healthcare provider exemption. Any employee working for a healthcare provider, uh, that employer can choose to exempt that employee from receiving these benefits. Small employers under 50 employees can also exempt from a portion of this leave, not all of it. They can exempt themselves from the uh, reasons related to caring for a child, and that's both the extended FMLA leave and the uh, paid sick leave for caring for a child to do that though you do have to meet criteria and document that criteria and that criteria basically has to show that you're jeopardizing the viability of the business as a going concern in order to take advantage of those exemptions so um, there's there's some detail and some work that has to be done that is the very high level review of the um, family first coronavirus act Uh, and as i said i'm sure we'll have lots of questions to answer uh, with this act moving forward
2: Thank you, Christine. You guys did a great job. I mean, this was short and concise, so awesome. Uh, Bear with us a little bit this morning. Like everything, we're having some technical difficulties on a couple things. So uh, a couple of housekeeping items. One is we did have that first survey and I'm happy to share the results. The question was, have you had employees utilize some sort of leave due to COVID-19 related circumstances? And the answers are in. Uh, 39 said yes. 45 said no, and 16% said NA are not applicable to them. So again, uh, that's the results from our first question. Uh, first poll, I'm sorry. Uh, questions are coming in, so a great reminder, please go to the go-to meeting box, the right-hand corner of your screen, type in your question. If your question is specifically for one of our attorneys or for the next two speakers, please identify that. We have about 20 questions already in the queue this morning. Uh, Under a lighthearted moment, uh, Brittany referred to baking sourdough bread. I think COVID-19 for me stands about the weight gain I've had during this time uh, at home, and so I need to do something about that on the back end of this COVID crisis here. So uh, let me move on and segue to uh, our next survey question for you. And the survey question is coming up on your screen in in a second. And it says, uh, do you currently have employees using unemployment benefits resulting from COVID-19 related circumstances. So, survey is up on your screen. Please take a moment to fill it out, and we will share those results after our next two speakers. We have two more speakers to go, and then we will go spend the remaining half hour to 45 minutes answering your questions. I should alert our attendees. We have a really strong attendance again this week that we will likely run over a few minutes, just in order to make sure that we can get through as many of your questions as possible. So again, great group of panelists that have joined us this morning. They are subject matter experts on this very important area of law that we are in today. And so they look forward to answering your questions. Up next, we have Scott Michael, the Legal Services Coordination Manager for the Washington Employment Security Department. Scott, if you can hear us, take it away.
7: Thank you, um, and I, I do have to admit that the Quarantine 15 is real, um, but uh, talking about my wake I think I'd like to talk to you about a major event that uh, the Employment Security Department launched over the weekend, which is that the expanded federal benefits under the CARES Act went live so what that means is that for those who have already qualified or will qualify for unemployment benefits uh, during the months of april may june and july an additional six hundred dollars will be added on to a weekly benefit amount so even if they only qualify for one dollar of benefits they get six hundred dollars added on top of it it's just a flat 600. the other thing that we've launched is that for folks who have Uh, exhausted an unemployment benefit claim uh, since July of last year uh, are allowed to get 13 weeks of additional benefits uh, added onto their claim. So normally a claim is about 26 weeks. The federal government is paying us to give you 13 weeks on top of that. This is federal money not charged to you as employers. It will not increase your tax rates. And then the last thing is the pandemic unemployment assistance. Uh, This covers business owners, uh, self-employed individuals, independent contractors, and other types of folks who don't qualify for a regular state unemployment claim uh, under the current state system. Uh, In order to qualify, you have to, one, apply for a state claim and get denied. So you do have to go through the bureaucratic step of applying for a state claim, getting denied, and then qualifying for a federal, and then applying for a federal claim that way. So for those of you who haven't applied for a state claim, do that now. Uh, the second thing is that in order to qualify, you also have to show that the reason you're not working is related to a COVID-19 reason. Uh, the CARES Act lists uh, 11 reasons, and they're pretty expansive. And here's some of the big ones that most people would qualify under. Uh, one is if they are sick or if a family member is sick, uh, folks who are staying at home to take care of kids uh, because schools closed or daycares are closed uh, due to COVID-19 or something that might apply for uh, most people on this uh Call is for those uh, non-essential businesses who have been closed to a governor's order or uh, are closed because the governor has limited uh, gatherings of large groups. Uh, So if your business is closed uh, because of those types of reasons, uh, you can qualify for pandemic unemployment assistance. Uh, If you can telework with pay, you don't qualify. And if you're receiving any sort of paid leave, uh, such as paid sick leave, uh, any of the paid leaves under the uh, Family First Coronavirus Response Act, uh, state paid family and medical leave. If you're receiving your full salary in terms of paid leave, uh, you can't qualify for pandemic unemployment assistance. Uh, so we are uh, getting a whole bunch of uh, folks who are applying. Um, and what we need from you in order to apply and qualify this in order to figure out what you're true benefit amount is is we are asking you to provide with your financial documents things such uh such as your tax returns uh just show what your net income is for the year of 2019 so uh, that's basic so if you have filed your uh income taxes with the federal government for the 2019 tax year uh that is the best cleanest, easiest way for us to quickly verify your wages and get you paid a full benefit amount. If you are providing us with documents from 2018, that's not gonna help us. If you are providing us with documents that do not show your net income for your business, uh, that is not gonna help us. Uh, We're going to have to come back to you and get other types of documentation. so those are the two biggest takeaways I hope you will show is that if you apply, please give us 2019 documents, and please give us documents showing your net income for your business. Best way is to go ahead, file your federal taxes for 2019. I know you've got until the end of July, but, you know, just go ahead and file it now anyway, and then uh, you can uh And then it'll be a lot easier for us to set you up with a claim, get you paid a full benefit amount uh, that you are entitled to instead of having to delay your claim. Now, if we can't uh, verify our wages right away, we will still pay you the minimum weekly benefit amount under the federal statute, but we would prefer to pay you the full amount that you're entitled to. And so please give us, uh, again, net income documentation for the years 2019. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Scott. I know it was a busy weekend for ESD, and I think the news last night said you were averaging a half a million people an hour coming to the website. So uh, I know you had a lot of volume coming in. Uh, next up is Allison Drake. Allison Drake was with the Department of Labor and Industries. Uh, Allison's been on a number of our webinars before. So, Allison, welcome back and take it away.
1: Thank you, Chris. Uh, so, again, my name is Allison Drake, I'm a senior policy advisor in the Government Affairs and Policy Division at the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries. Um, and what LNI has been doing is um, trying to be really proactive um, in providing guidance on a number of the programs that we enforce, uh, workers' compensation, safety and health, and then um, things pertaining into paid sick leave wage and hour. Um, so I'm here specifically to talk about paid sick leave. Um, I want to uh, say thank you to Christine for giving such a great overview of the paid sick leave requirements under Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Uh, What we've been focused on doing in recent weeks is trying to understand how the federal requirements and the state paid sick leave requirements interact. And so we've been exploring things, um, you know, like providing interpretations on if there's, you know, separate types of leave, um, you know, a worker's entitlement to choose what kind of leave they're going to utilize first. And so we've built out um, some additional resources on our website. Uh, the Department of Labor and Industries has developed a COVID-19 resources page, and uh, on that page we've included a specific heading for paid sick leave, where we answer some common questions about state paid sick leave, state paid sick leave questions that we've had coming in about an employee's entitlement to use sick leave right now, um, what limitations may exist, trying to answer questions for employers about the application of state paid sick leave, and then most recently trying to answer some of those questions about how the state and federal laws will interact. So um, clarifying that they're two separate uh, banks of leave and that the federal requirement for paid sick leave cannot um, cannot be uh, cannot supplant the state requirement. It's it's in addition to um, clarifying that it's an employee's entitlement to use state paid sick leave or the federal paid sick leave first, again recognizing of course that the federal paid sick leave expires December 31st of this year. And so our primary role has been trying to answer some of those questions to the extent possible, providing clarification about how the two laws interact. And so my hope is that if questions come up um, about um, state paid sick leave in the context of um, entitlements under families first, that I could that I could help answer those questions.
2: Thank you, Allison. Great update there. Well, it is time for the questions. So a couple. Uh, reminders. One, if you have, would like to ask a question to any of the panels, please do so in the right-hand corner of your screen. Uh, we've got a large volume, panelists, of questions to go through, so if we can try to do them in a lightning round environment, that would be great, but feel free to give uh, a, a good substantive answer here as well. The first question with that in mind is, what liability does a business have if an employee is infected at work? Go ahead, Laura.
5: I can address that. That is... Um that's another area of uncharted territory right now. I mean, the um, the standard to get out from the Industrial Insurance Act is deliberate intention to harm your employee. Um, there are cases in Washington that talk about if the employer didn't cause the illness, um, didn't facilitate it, um, that, that there would not be extra liability outside the IIA. Um, there has been recently a lawsuit filed, a wrongful death lawsuit filed, in the Midwest against Walmart. So we'll see how that will play out. And I'm sure people are seeing the coverage of the Whole Foods out in DC where a couple of their employees um, have been sick. And so again, the short answer is we don't yet know, but if the standard that has always applied, which is deliberate intention continues to apply, likely liability will be limited and I can't speak I can't predict the future, but given how many employees might be otherwise affected by something like this, the notion that liability would be expanded to employers in this arena when we don't know who has been infected, or even if we do know who has been infected and they continue to work, um, how that would really practically play out. Anything to add to that?
2: Go ahead, Brittany.
4: Just adding on, um, Laura, that was a great overview. Just adding on that businesses do have a requirement to report under OSHA if they if uh, one of their employees have contracted coronavirus at work. So that is usually a good spot to start. So don't forget that. Okay.
2: All right, so, uh, let's move on to our next question. It says, I have told my employees that they may choose to stay home and their employment status will not be affected. All of them have continued to work. If my company is exempt from a shelter in place order, Should I have my employees sign a waiver of liability saying that they are choosing to work? Who would like to go first? Go ahead, Brittany.
4: Um, You know, signing a waiver isn't necessary. You've already, you know, you've met the requirements, you're an essential business, or people are choosing to come to work. Um, And so it's not, but you can certainly consider doing a confirming email saying, you're an essential business, um, you have elected to come to work or whatever it may be. And that should generally be sufficient, although there isn't a big downside to the waiver All Right.
2: Go ahead, Christine.
6: What we're doing with some businesses in those environments too is making sure we're putting in writing to folks what we expect of them in order to stay safe. So, at that's coming into the office, putting in writing the expectations around the social distancing, I'm reiterating things that the company is doing to make sure that they're they're limiting over maybe it's you know uh, altered schedules or things like that. We found that that is helpful not only um, from documenting what the employer is doing, but also giving employees a peace of mind that the employer is taking into consideration their safety as they
2: try to continue operating.
3: Great.
2: All right, next question. Maybe if this goes to start maybe with Allison and go to the attorneys from here, it says, is there a legal requirement to pay sick leave to an employee who is not sick, but is worried about working due to COVID-19? So a handful
1: of weeks back, a of weeks back we worked in conjunction with um, the Employment Security Department to develop a COVID uh, resources and scenarios um, page that kind of outlines a number of situations employees may find themselves in. Um, and this is precisely one of the scenarios that we identified. Um, the paid sick leave on Washington state um, is pretty clear about an employee's intended to use paid sick leave. And paraphrasing it for an employee's own illness, um, injury or health condition, um, you know, mental or physical, um, to seek treatment, um, you know, to obtain a diagnosis. And so in order for an employee to be entitled to use paid sick leave under Washington state law, it would need to fall within one of those authorized purposes. Um, if an employee is choosing to self-isolate um, because you know a fear of exposure, um, and they're not under um, they're not under you know advisement from a healthcare professional, say, for example, because of an underlying health condition, um, that's not an authorized purpose um, under the state paid sick leave law. Recognizing, of course, that employers do always have the option of providing a more generous use of paid sick leave. So, for example, if an employee said, um you know i don't have an underlying health condition i'm just i'm really nervous about coming to work because i don't want to run the risk of exposure an employer could certainly allow an employee to use paid sick leave for such a purpose um but it doesn't fall within the authorized purposes outlined in the statute
2: our legal team anybody have yes christine you raised your hand go ahead
6: under the federal program, under the federal program, it's very similar to what uh, Allison described for the state program. The difference is they've also got um, specifically talk about there being a shelter in place or, or isolation order uh, as a qualifying reason, and that is confused people. It goes back again to you're able to work or not. So if somebody would otherwise, if they could get in their car and drive to work and do work, uh, or if they can work from home, then they wouldn't qualify for it. Um, if the company is not able to open because of the order or the company doesn't have work to do because of the order, then that, that, employer, that employee wouldn't have work to do as well and wouldn't qualify. So, be cautious about, uh, with the federal one, not assuming just because an order is in place that the person is qualifying.
2: All right. To our next question. Am I able to terminate or lay off employees even with the enactment of SFCRA and Governor Inslee's stay-at-home, stay-healthy order? Laura.
5: The short answer is yes. Um, Those are still viable reasons to lay people off. Um, It goes to the qualifications. You get unemployment um, that was laid out very nicely, including the extension of the number of weeks and the the additional $600. So that is still um, viable. And, and I'm going to answer, if I may, a question that has not yet come up in this presentation, but um, is one of the questions that we discussed beforehand and how that dovetails with the WARN Act. So just very quickly, one of the things that has stymied some employers is how do temporary layoffs um, work with warren are they going to be short term and how the ppp the payroll protection program that's really encouraging employers to bring their employees back to work what do they then do you know if they had warn act concerns you know a couple of weeks ago so as people are bringing folks back um things are changing on the warren front and we can talk about that a little bit more but in terms of the short answer being for any reason Am I prohibited from laying somebody off just because of coronavirus? The answer, the short answer, again, is no.
3: Great, uh,
2: let's move on to our next question. It is, can employees use their Washington sick and safe leave or their PTO to care for children when schools and daycares are closed due to COVID-19? Allison, go ahead.
1: So one of the <clears throat> excuse me one of the authorized purposes that's clearly defined in the statute under Washington State Paid Sick Leave Law um, is when um, it's when an employer's place of business when employee's place of business has been closed by order of a public official for a health related reason or when their child's school um, or place of care has been closed and so um, we have we have indicated that it isn't if um, you know schools being closed with the schools being closed if an employee is unable to work um, because they need to care for a child and um, that is defined as an authorized purpose in the statute for Washington State people's leave.
2: Anyone else? Great. Uh, the next question says, since revenue will be reduced following the pandemic stay-at-home order, can a salaried employee be paid on an hourly basis once that company resumes normal operations? Uh, Go ahead, Brittany, and then let's go to Laura.
4: Thanks. I think that you know, it's kind of a uh, just salaried itself is maybe not the full question necessarily because it might depend if someone's exempt or non exempt. Um, so for people that are not exempt, you know, you can pay them hourly, you can pay them salary. For people that are exempt, if you want to try and switch up their pay structure, that has more of an impact, for example. Um, they still have to meet the minimum salary threshold requirement of uh, $684 a week. Um, and so people are looking at alternatives such as for their exempt employees. I'll just pick a round number. Let's say you normally pay them $100,000 a year. Um, you can, there are ways you can prospectively change their salary to reduce it uh, based on business reasons. Um, and keep your exemption. So you could reduce that salary as long as they're still meeting um, the minimum salary threshold and the other requirements to be exempt and keep that exemption. So it's kind of a a trickier question with multiple parts and really will depend on the exempt versus non-exempt status as well.
2: Laura, do you have anything to add on to that?
5: Just, just very quickly, um, I've had a lot of questions about this, and uh, one of the questions that I got is, can I take people to be part-time salary? And the answer is, you can have people work as much or as little as you want, but you cannot go beyond that, or below that, that federal threshold um, of the weekly pay. And then the other issue is, if you have somebody who's salaried non-exempt, is this a good time to look at reducing that to an hourly wage um, while you're figuring out what that individual's workload is going to be, um, and you can do anything from looking at the salary and dividing it by the expected number of weeks, or just reaching a new hourly rate um, in the interim and just notifying those individuals of the change in pay. So, it, again, it's the are we preserving the exempt status as opposed to are we looking at adjusting uh, the pay for salaried non exempt employees and how that works. Um, In addition to meeting minimum wage requirements, also keeping in mind morale issues and retention issues um, and how that will work maybe in the long game for your company.
2: A testament to this great panel so far, there are nearly 50 more questions to go. So uh, bear with us. We're trying to get through as many of your questions as we can. Uh, But again, a, a great testament to the experts that we have on this webinar today. Uh, last time I heard, our numbers were between 5 and 700 people on the webinar this morning. So, uh, again, lots of uh, timely and topical questions. All right, here we go forward with our next question. For essential businesses, how would you recommend we handle employees who will not work due to fear of the virus from both an employment and liability standpoint? Anyone who would like to go first on that? I'll read the question again. For central businesses, how would you recommend they handle employees who will not work due to fear of the virus from both an unemployment and a liability standpoint? Go ahead, Christine. Yes, as a,
6: as a general rule, we've encouraged businesses to, to try and have people agree to work um, just because from employee relations perspective and all of the, the um, emotionally challenging time to be, to be operating in this space. Um, We've done a lot in terms of communicating what the company is doing to protect employees who are working as a way to help encourage folks. Um, But there are going to be individuals either because they themselves are are at risk or they live with somebody who's at risk um, who maybe don't have a note from a doctor that that gives them access to the protected leave um, who really are wanting to stay home because of that reason. The extent employers can allow for that, I think it's important that they try and do so.
3: Okay,
2: thank you. Next question, how does laying off an employee affect their benefits? Or does it affect their benefits as well? Go ahead, Christine.
6: I'm not an employee benefits expert, but I do know general rule with with most plans, if we're talking about health insurance type benefits, is going to be that the end of the month benefits end. Your best source of information for that is to talk to your benefits ins- uh, broker and insurance provider. Some plans will allow you to, if you keep somebody on payroll, to keep them off the benefits for a period of time. Some have minimum hours that they have to be working or receiving paid leave to do it. Um, but your best source for answering that is to be talking to your insurance brokers. General rule though will be if they are not working for you anymore, if they're off your payroll and they're, then they're not going to generally be eligible. Um, they could potentially fall in, uh, receiving benefits through Cobra, uh, some other continuation options that exist.
2: Go ahead, Brittany.
4: Just adding on to that, entirely agree with Christine. Beyond you know just those types of benefits, I think we've had people ask, well, what about if I've laid someone off, can I still be paying them their PTO at the same time? If they're laid off, they're no longer an employee. So, I think um, that is something that people need to be aware of that they will not be getting um, the same benefits. They can apply for unemployment, um, but they wouldn't be getting um, the sick leave or
1: the PTO at the same time if they've been laid off.
2: Go ahead, Allison.
1: So, I would like to, and I I appreciate the the clarification um, provided um, by Christine and Brittany. The one thing I would um, I, w- I would like to clarify is that an employee's entitlement to utilize state paid sick leave whether the remain, it remains employed by the employer. So if that employer employee relationship still exists, um, they would be entitled to use their state paid sick leave. And there's a number of variables that we would consider, a number of factors in determining if that relationship still exists. Um, and I would encourage Scott to, um, to potentially provide any clarifying um, a statement as a follow-up to what I'm about to say, but say, for example, my understanding is if an employee is laid off, but they're on standby, um, the standby status contemplates that that employer-employee relationship still exists. Essentially, the employee is just awaiting dispatch from their employer, um, in which case, if that relationship has not been severed, the employee um, could very well be entitled to use their state paid sick leave. Um, so I think that there's a pretty broad spectrum um, of variables that would contribute to an employee's entitlement to access, say, for example, state paid sick leave. Um, And so we can kind of provide some general guidance to that effect and then recognize that those cases are analyzed um, or those situations are analyzed on a case by case basis. Um, But based on my very limited um, um, understanding of um, decisions around UI. I, I do understand, I believe um, that there are scenarios where the employee can be you know, laid off, um, but still have that relationship with the employer. Um, and so, like I said, if, if Scott has anything to add to that, um, but if that relationship exists still, um, then the employee would be entitled to use state-paid sick leave.
7: So yes, Alison, thank you. Uh, for unemployment purposes, uh Individuals who are on standby are considered employment attached, and therefore uh, they are not separated. but for unemployment p- uh, purposes, this means that they only need to we don't need to adjudicate or decide whether they quit for good cause or were fired for misconduct. It just means that uh you know they are still employer attached and still have some level of employment relationship, uh, even if they are uh, not. Uh, currently working or receiving any pay. Uh, But this does segue into something I do want to mention, which is for shared work. Uh, So for those on the call who haven't heard about shared work or know what shared work is, shared work is a special program with the Employment Security Department that instead of completely laying people off, it allows you to reduce their hours in order uh, to collect un- uh, employment benefits and work a shorter uh, schedule. And then unemployment will be- make up the difference. So for example, you can reduce hours between 10 to 50%. So if you uh, reduce somebody's hours by 50%, unemployment will come in and pay them half of what they would normally get uh, uh, for unemployment benefits. And so in that way your employees end up with more money in their pocket than if you just straight laid them off. Uh, The benefits to you as an employer for doing the shared work program is that under the CARES Act, all of the benefit charges Uh, Meaning all the benefits that we pay out to folks who are on shared work will not be charged to your tax account. It is tax free to you. You will not see an insurance rate increase in future years if you use the shared work program. So again, shared work is tax free. Now, in order to participate in shared work, you have to maintain uh, their employee benefit packages. So that includes health insurance and uh, retirement benefits, uh, but uh, that is a great way for you to keep your employees attached to you and save yourself on your unemployment tax bill in the years to come.
2: Uh Hey, Scott. Let me ask you a question along that line. That's just coming in here, relative to shared work. Can you change the the amount of hours per week on shared work as well?
7: Yes, for shared work, uh, you can change the hours on a week by week basis. You just can't reduce it more than fifty-five zero percent. And you cannot and it has to be a minimum reduction of 10 percent so as long as you keep the reduction between 10 to 50 percent uh, we will allow you flexibility uh also there are times when people may need to just completely lay off somebody for a couple weeks and then bring them back under shared work. We do allow people to go on and off shared work on a week-by-week basis as necessary. But just remember that if it, that person is completely laid off, you don't see the, uh, uh, the benefit charge uh, relief uh, that you get under the CARES Act.
2: And, and, Scott, here's another ESD question. They're coming in just lined up here. Perfect for you. Uh, it says, are self-employed okay. individuals who are also employers eligible for UI under the CARES Act?
7: Yes, uh, they are eligible for pandemic unemployment assistance uh, so long as they can show that the reason they're not working is related to COVID-19. They can't telework and they're not receiving any other sort of paid leave.
2: I'm gonna segue to the answers to that survey results. This will give you time to type in more questions. I think we have like 38 more to go, so bear with us. We'll try to get through as many of them as we can. A reminder on the question, it says, Do you currently have employees using unemployment benefits resulting from COVID-19-related circumstances? And the survey results were in, and the answer was 55% said yes, 37% said no, and 8% said N-A. Let me come back to this question that says, uh, Allison, I think this is going to go to you maybe first, but can you highlight the changes to Washington's paid family medical leave?
7: Um,
1: So I I believe that question would actually go to Scott. Um, So paid family medical leave um, is administered by the Employment Security Department. Um, And so while we have been working in conjunction, like I said, with ESD to try to build out some resources that distinguish the different programs available um, to employees in our state, um, paid family medical leave questions, I would love to to defer to Scott um, as the ESD expert.
7: Uh, so for paid family and medical leave, uh, the department has not done any sort of emergency rules or statutory changes uh, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So what this means is that if you are laid out, flat out sick with COVID-19, you can potentially qualify for paid family medical leave. Uh, if you are have only a mild illness, you may not qualify, and if you are not sick at all, uh, then you cannot qualify, even for those who are just scared about uh, contracting the virus, or those who are, um, you know, may have underlying health conditions or are at high risk. If you don't actually have the virus, we cannot help you with paid family medical leave. And if you have only a mild case, we probably won't be able to help you either. But there are other programs that have expanded uh, both on the federal and state level that may be able to help you.
2: The next question probably goes to our lawyers and that is, what do we do when the stay-at-home order is lifted and we still have employees who are refrained from working due to fear of getting sick? So how should we handle employees once we go back, once the stay-at-home order is lifted and employees are afraid to come to work? Go ahead, Brittany.
4: So I think this really goes back to what Christine had talked about earlier, is to the extent you can try to work with certain employees that are concerned about coming to work, you know, better for morale, better for everyone to try and do so. Um, so I don't know how many people are familiar yet with the high risk employee um, proclamation that the governor put out next week. There are some special considerations for employee employees that are considered high risk, which is over the age of 65 or with underlying medical conditions. So putting those aside, um, just for your average worker, again, trying to work with them as best you can. Although ultimately, if the world is open back up, work is running again. People can be disciplined for not showing up, refusing to work, um, you know, not an ideal circumstance, which is why we really like people to work um, with their employees as best they can in
2: advance. All right. Our next question, can we apply for- for the next stimulus payment to small businesses with 10 or less employees in advance? Anyone have a thought or perspective on that? Can they apply in advance for the next stimulus payment? I don't think we know the answer to that, actually. Uh, I think that's probably, maybe, uh, I don't think we just know the answer to that question yet. All right, let's go on to the next one. Uh, Scott, I think let's go back to you and it says, well, the new $600 a week of federal benefits under the CARES Act added to every person's state weekly payment even if that results in a payment higher than the person would have earned had they continued to work the answer is yes that is a lightning round answer good okay scott thank you uh we'll move on to the next question it says can i keep my employees on unemployment and only pay myself and health insurance for everyone on the ppp loan and still be able to get that part forgiven if I only have myself on the payroll? Or do I have to have all employees on the payroll to qualify for forgiveness? PPP, question here about forgiving the loan. I don't know that we have an expert on PPP on here today, but anyone have any thoughts on that? Go ahead, Laura.
5: Well, I might have a clarifying question, actually, because there are two sort of axes that people have to look at when looking at PPP and potential forgiveness, and that is, getting back to that number of FTEs or full-time employment and getting your payroll back to where it is. So I'm not sure if the if the question is, can I pay my folks to sit home if my business is closed and still qualify, or is it, can I just pay myself and still somehow qualify for forgiveness? Because I think the answer to the latter question is no.
2: All right, thank you, Laura. Uh, the next question says, Uh, we are considered an essential business but have moved to a skeleton crew on site and telework for about 70 percent of our staff we've sent about 15 employees home with pay as they do not have the ability to work from home what obligations do we have to these employees should we terminate to lay some of them off go ahead christine
6: so for for individuals that you don't have work to do you have a couple of options you can't have and whether they're exempt or non-exempt plays into some of the nuances here but the general rule you can keep them on just just reduce their work or furlough them so they're still on the on the payroll so to speak but they're not having hours um benefits to doing that is they do have access potentially to some benefits again you're going to want to check with your your insurance company uh providers to make sure that that's true what the parameters are Um, but you could essentially keep them on the rolls um, they would have access to all the benefits they would as an employee or, or as an employee you all and they would also have access to unemployment and the um our unemployment expert can expand on that even more um, or you can lay them off and when you lay them off as we said that's typically treated as a termination of employment so you have to treat it as a termination of employment you might have to pay out benefits depending on or, uh pay time off benefits depending on your policies And then they would have access to unemployment benefits as well if they're they're terminated. They would not have access to your other benefits as a general rule. So that's sort of the broad parameters of of how to think about your options.
2: Here's a great great open-ended question. All attorneys love this. What would be the single most important advice you would give to a small business as it works with its employees during this uncertain period of time?
6: Mm. communication you know this this so uncertain and employees get really nervous their livelihoods are at stake you're a small company oftentimes there's a perception that um you don't have the, the coffers to sort of withstand long-term issues like this the more you can communicate to your employees about what you're doing to take care of them be honest with them don't lie don't present a picture that you know is not going to end up happening um, but at the same time, don't scare them to death. You know, there's a, there's a fine line in there, but help them understand what you're doing and how you're thinking about things so that they don't feel blindsided by, um, decisions that you may have to make. Help them understand why you're making decisions. Um, a lot of times business owners and, and leaders are struggle with transparency because they feel like it might paint a picture they don't want to paint, but employees really respect and appreciate when, um, when they're being talked to with honesty and, and genuineness about
5: what's going on. Go ahead Laura. I just wanted to add to that um, the opposite side of that same coin, which is don't expect your HR department or your managers to become experts in outside of employment benefits. Um, We've had a lot of employees come to HR folks and say, You know what is my PFML benefit? How much will my unemployment benefit be? How long will that go? Do I have to declare other um, income that I'm getting when I apply for unemployment? And the best thing we can do along the lines of what Christine is talking about is point those folks in the direction of the experts. Be honest with them and say, there are all sorts of new benefits that you might be eligible for. Here are websites. There are posters now that are required to be hung, but it, in addition to wanting to make our employees comfortable, not make them scared, not make them nervous, we don't want to overpromise them an understanding or how benefits work when that is something that is not um, when that's necess- not necessarily a decision that is made by the employer. Um, as opposed to, for example, the employment security department, and there was a lot of concern when the standby applications went in and everybody was applying for the lengthier standby and were immediately getting rejected and sort of the confusion with that and wanting to be honest with employees, but also saying, let's go to the source, make sure you're focusing and going back to the source, which in that case was ESD to get the best from the mouth Explanation and understanding of those things as those are evolving, as opposed to trying as an employer to be the spokesperson for all sources of benefits. You know, we don't want to, the only thing worse than keeping employees in the dark is giving them bad information. So we just want to be really thoughtful about that. Go ahead, Brittany.
4: Thanks. I would build on those two things and say my piece of advice would be to be flexible, Um, be willing to course correct, be willing to listen. It seems like our laws are changing daily. Um, it's a lot to keep up with, of course, for companies, big and small. And the extent you can listen to your employees, um, you know, try to keep up on what's happening with the changing laws, but recognize that if you're making a decision um, based on the information you have in the moment, you might have to change that decision when new laws come in, when you hear from your employees. And so instead of t- trying to stick to one path you think might be the right path, being more flexible, figuring out what might be better, listening to suggestions, invaluable.
2: Scott, the next question is for you. And and it says, will ESD grant relief of benefits to employers for COVID-19 related
7: layoffs? So uh, within our emergency rules, we have adopted one uh, rule that expands an existing state law uh, reason for granting relief of benefit charges uh, for uh, catastrophic occurrences. But we have defined in rule that if you have to uh, close or severely curtail your operations because of a COVID-19 infection at the workplace, uh, then you are entitled to relief of benefit charges. So, but so far, that is the only thing in state law uh, that allows you to uh, get automatic relief of charges. Uh, Another thing that happened at the end of the legislative session is that the legislature did set aside a $25 million pot of money uh, that employers can apply to. Uh, in order to get some share of relief of benefit charges. And so what that applies to is employers who are impacted by COVID-19 put an employee on standby, which is pretty much everybody, uh, and brought their employee back to the same employment. Uh, Then if you can meet these criteria, uh, plus other uh, criteria that we are uh, currently doing rulemaking on, uh, so that's just what's set out in the statute. We're trying to expand and define that and try to figure out other appropriate criteria uh, through the rulemaking process. So uh, if you have an opinion on that, you know, let us know. Uh, but anyway, uh, you can uh, apply for a share of that $25 million pot of money to help buy down some of those benefit charges. So uh, other things that you can do as far as reducing your tax uh, relief. One, remember that all of the federal benefits that we launched over the weekend are tax-free to you. They are paid for by the federal government. Uh, Two, get on shared work. Shared work is the easiest and best way for you to get employees on regular unemployment and have those uh, benefits not be charged to you. Uh, Also under the CARES Act, uh, the first week of benefits is free to you. It is paid for by the federal government. So, because the governor uh, waived the waiting week, meaning uh, typically the first week is unpaid, folks have to wait a week in order to get their benefits. The governor did waive the waiting week, and the federal government is now picking up the tab for that. And finally, if there's any charities, 501c3 nonprofit charities on the line. Uh, For those of you who are a charity, uh, the government, federal government, is also going to pay us to pay you 50% of the reimbursements you make. So we pay out benefits, uh, say $1,000, you pay us our $1,000 back, which we will then put into the trust fund. The federal government will then pay us $500 to give back to you. But that's only for uh, 501c3 charities Uh, that have chosen to be self-insured or reimbursable.
2: Hey, hey Scott, I know you tackled this at the beginning, but I think just looking at the large volume of questions coming in, if you could just give a brief synopsis again of what is shared work, how does it work, and then maybe more importantly, where would you send someone to if they had more detailed questions about shared work?
7: Uh, Certainly. So the best way to get uh, more information about shared work is on our website. Uh, esd.wa.gov slash shared work. There is an application process there uh, so that um, uh, you can submit an application. It'll go to our shared work uh, uh, group who will then look at it and verify. Um, So the criteria again for shared work is uh, uh, it has to be a reduction of hours between 10 to 50%. um, you have to maintain uh regular benefits uh so you have to keep them at full level uh full time level uh health insurance benefits and retirement benefits uh and then any other criteria that's not at the top of my mind that may be listed there on our website but those are the two big ones uh and then we will look at it we will approve your plan and i get you on there Uh, we are capable of uh approving shared work plans uh as soon as you get them those are not backlogged as, as as far as i can tell at least not too much so get your shared work plan in there uh and we can get you approved um so we are selling that uh as hard as we can because we know it's the best way to get employers a relief of charges uh, and also to help get more money in the pockets of employees because a half-time salary plus half benefits is uh, better than uh, for your employees' uh, bottom lines. Thank you, Scott.
2: The next question says, uh, uh, this company's employees were laid off on March 15th, and they are on state unemployment right now. Will they still qualify for FFCRA After they come back when my business is open again sometime in May. Go ahead, Christine.
6: If they're laid off now, meaning the employment relations severed, and then you rehire them sometime before the end of the year, as long as they meet that criteria of the the 30 days um, within 60 days before they were laid off, uh, and that's spelled out in detail in in the presentation materials, um, then they could qualify for. For the FSTRA. For the, and let me clarify, for the extended MLA benefit for it, all employees are qualifying for the paid sick time if they're an employee. All right,
2: next question says. Uh, I'm happy to help my employees navigate this uncertain period of time, but I'm afraid to give them specific advice that may not be correct about my benefit packages and how to access state benefits. Is there a resource you would recommend or a website I would recommend sending my employees to? I assume Scott, let's maybe start with you on that question.
7: Uh, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? I'm not sure I followed you.
2: Yeah. The, the question is, this employer says, you know, they're uh, they're afraid of not giving their employees the right information about state benefits that might be eligible to laid off employees, whether they be laid off or furloughed employees, where would you send the employee to, to access information about benefits during this time?
7: Uh, Certainly. Uh, So uh, fortunately, uh, over the past, uh, just before the weekend, uh, we did launch a new uh, 800 number uh, which I'm currently looking up right now, uh, for folks to uh, just have questions. Uh, as you've probably heard and seen in the news, our phone lines are getting absolutely swamped. Uh, so we have launched a new uh, 800 number. Uh, unfortunately, it's not anything super catchy. Uh, so uh, I, I, I don't have it off the top of my head. Uh, I will come back to you once I find it uh, and then uh, we can, uh, and then that's a great way for them to ask questions because that's the questions only line. Uh, So that way we can free up the uh, claims agents who are opening uh, or issuing claims uh, back to the um, uh, more time so that they can process claims and get people set up. So uh, I will get that to you in a minute once I find it. Thank you
2: thank you our next question says we are an essential business open and functioning at 100 percent we have a high-risk employee over the age of 65 who is healthy but refusing to come to work under the governor's under the governor's guidance there this employee is not able to work at home based on their skill sets what would you advise us to do go ahead laura
5: well the the person doesn't, who's over um, the age limit, doesn't have to be suffering from any symptoms. In fact, as we hear pretty frequently, asymptomatic does not equal um, uninfected, and the proclamation doesn't require any evidence. And, and that's the basis of being the high risk individual, right? They, if you have immunosuppression, um, morbid obesity, all of those, just the fact of the existence of that is enough. And so. Um, assuming the telework piece does not, based on your question, which is the first of the three prongs, really. um, The second is to let the individual take as much time off and let him or her use the amount of leave available to him or her in whatever sequence that person chooses. And third, continuing benefits for that person um, while they're taking the leave until it's until it's absolutely determined that, that the individual cannot come back to work. So, um, those people, those folks don't need to prove anything to you. Uh, it's really a matter of making a statement. We're not going to be in the business of asking somebody to calculate their BMI for us before we let them take time off. Um, we're taking those folks at face value and then giving them the leave that might be available to them.
2: This next question is in here. says, uh, as we return to work, are there liability protections either from the state or federal level uh, to protect our business as we reopen and not be uh, be positioned in a lawsuit from either a customer or an employee who may get sick but not, may not be pointed back to their business? I.e., is there a way for a company to have liability protection when they go back to reopening and testing isn't widespread in the state of Washington? That's what I read the question to say. Go ahead, Brittany.
4: Um, I'd be happy to be corrected by someone else, but I don't think there's any liability-free you know, guarantee here. I think this is an area where no one's exactly sure how it's going to look when everyone returns to work and what's going to happen. Um, you know, at a minimum, keeping the uh, sanitiz- sanitization, the safety standards, you know, t- as best you can. Those types of things, assuring your employees about what you're doing, customers as well. Um, But it's going to be a little bit of an unknown territory at this point. And I would say it's something that we're all going to need to wait and see how the government's open back up and what things will look like then.
2: It is hard to believe that we've ran over by 20 minutes. We've been been together for 80 minutes this morning. There are another easily 30 to 40 questions to go. Uh, But as we wrap up here, I want to give our panelists, and this is a distinguished group of people from Scott on the phone who you can't see. Uh, to Brittany, Laura, Allison, and Christine. Maybe give you each a minute just to give some closing comments and thoughts. A lot of questions about uh, how we operate today, what to do with employees and how they're impacted, when we might go back to work, what does testing look like, et cetera, et cetera. But each of you are really subject matter experts in a couple different areas. Can I give you each maybe a minute just for some closing thoughts? And Brittany, not to put you on, but since you're next to me in the queue of pictures here, maybe I'll start with you and work down the line here. So uh, one minute closing comments, if you would, from each of you, Brittany. Sure.
4: Again, you know, I would probably just follow up on what I said before about staying flexible. And I'd really add to that, that just staying up to speed on what's going on. Everyone on this call is already doing the right thing. They're on this call. They're trying to learn more. And really, knowledge is just the best way you can handle the next steps forward. Because we're all in a pretty uncertain time. Every company is going through something different. Obviously, new laws, again, governments um, changing kind of some regulations and Staying up to speed on those types of things. So these calls in the future, reaching out with questions, don't operate in a vacuum. Um, No one can make good decisions, you know, just kind of without good information around them. So just get that information, ask questions, and go from there.
2: Thank you, Brittany and Laura.
5: Uh, I think think a key provision as as we think about what we are doing for employees, but giving ourselves as employers a break. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with your employees who might be um, on the range from um, perfectly reasonably scared to a little bit irrational to just not wanting to come back to work. Um, And so be patient that this is affecting a lot of people differently and in different ways. Um, And be patient with yourself. You don't have to be the lone sheriff in town. If you have a question, seek help, whether that is from the very helpful people who are places like labor and industries, unemployment, um, the DOL has a fantastic website, the governor's website is constantly updated. Um, And then the last thought is be proactive and be prepared, but don't start creating solutions in search of a problem. So as these things are rolling out, Let's see how things are going. If we have to readjust tracks and move in a d- different direction, let's do that. But let's wait till it starts raining before we get our umbrellas out in some scenarios. Um, so that's that and, and again, ask for help. This is, we are certainly all in this together. So that those are my thoughts.
2: Thank you, Laura. Christine.
6: Uh, I think Brittany and Laura summarized it well. It really comes down to being thoughtful and being careful not to be overly reactive, right? Take, take time to sort of see what's, what's going on. Um, communicate as best you can, as they've already said, you know, be flexible, become knowledgeable about all the options out there. There's a lot of resources being thrown out there all at once. Uh, and so connecting to people who can help you understand how those resources all fit together for your particular situation at the moment, um, is going to just be really key. And, and, uh, my HR background always makes me bring up the communication side of it that, um, really talking to your employees and helping them understand why you make decisions you make and, and what you're thinking, so that you're easing their sense of of un, uh, not knowing what the future holds. To the extent any of us can e- take some comfort about that right now, because we don't know what's going to happen. Um, so the communication and just being really thoughtful and not reactive, I think, is really helpful.
3: Thank
2: you, Christine. Allison.
1: So I would, I would say. You know, to the extent possible, explore the resources that the various agencies um, have worked to produce. Um, you know, I'm speaking specifically for labor and industries. We've we've tried to, through our COVID-19 resources page, provide an option to kind of self-serve on a number of the the questions that folks have. Like I said, around workers' compensation, safety and health, paid sick leave. Um, because we recognize that the need is so great and we perhaps can't be as responsive to things as quickly as we would we would always love to and we want to continue to build out the option for folks to go and get the information that they seek in a really real-time capacity the other thing that i would really encourage folks to do is if you have a question um, reach out don't don't assume that you know your question um, is maybe something you should already know or be able to figure out on your own um, we're in unprecedented times right now, and I think everybody's doing their best to, to you know, stay, um, stay current on the information and to try to navigate through this process. Um, the other thing is we can try to the best of our ability to um, identify the questions that need to be answered, but we really rely upon our, our stakeholders in business and labor um, across the state to let us know where the needs exist. And so oftentimes it's a question coming in that provokes a thought in our minds, you know, to the effect of, wow, we need to provide information on something. And so, um, you know, don't presume that the question isn't worth asking. Uh, We don't know what we don't know. And we might be the subject matter experts, but that doesn't necessarily make us an expert on where the needs for information exist. So we would just always encourage to have folks reach out and ask those questions, um, because we want to help support you in the best way possible. Um, And a lot of that comes from the the identifications that need being made. Um, from folks that have these questions in their minds, so please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, look into the resources we have available. We want to continue to support businesses and, you know, um, employees the best we can, um, and I think that that's through information
7: sharing. So,
2: thank you, Allison, and let's go to Scott.
7: And uh, thank you for the uh, opportunity, uh, AWB, for uh, letting us uh, come and, and talk to you and talk to your audience uh this is always a pleasure for me to get to talk to people about the work that we do um first and foremost uh thank you everyone uh who has come to reach us with questions and thank you everyone for your patience um unemployment claims uh a month ago were about seven thousand dollars a week or sorry seven thousand claims a week And then within a matter of a week, it went up from 7,000 a week to tens of thousands a day. So we are trying to scale up as fast as we can uh, to deal with just the absolutely unprecedented number of people who are coming in and uh, seeking our services. Uh, We are dealing with a uh, the same as you, a, a flurry of changing laws. It feels like we're trying to build an airplane at the same time as we're flying it. Uh, so it's going to be a little clunky, but we're working on expanding things, uh, getting the information out to you as fast and as fast as we can. Uh, and then the number for uh, that was in—it's now in the chat. But uh, for those of you who uh, need to know, it's eight three three. 833 572 8400 for general uh, unemployment questions. Um, and, uh, and probably last thing I'll leave with is the best way to get information. Uh, is to go to our website, become friends with us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. We keep everybody as updated as best as we can. Sign up for our email alerts uh, and uh, appreciate your patience and we'll work through this together and we'll get through this together. Thank you. Thank
2: you, Scott. Uh, Allison, you mentioned it was unprecedented times. We had an unprecedented panel with an unprecedented amount of questions today. And so these really are the subject matter experts. Uh, I want to thank all of our participants and our panelists for joining us today. This is part one in a series that we pick up again next Monday. Next Monday, we'll have Britt Povost uh, with Accolade, Tim O'Connell with Still Reeves, Pam Kant with the Department of L&I, and Jennifer Dye with the Washington Small Business Development Center with us. Uh, again, phenomenal uh, panelists. I just want to say thank you to each of you. You took time away from your clients and others that be a part of us today and answer the 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 biggest amount of questions we've ever had on a webinar yet uh, for us. So I really do appreciate you doing that. Uh, I want to thank Primera Blue Cross and David Condon for helping us be in your corner as well and to make this all be possible. A great reminder that the awb.org resource page is a phenomenal resource page to go to for all of this information that we talked about today. About 4,000 Washingtonians a day are going to that page, so we know that it's a timely page. It's kept up to date with the information you're looking forward to. Again, this will be Facebook, uh, this will be, I'm sorry, streamed again on Facebook tomorrow at 10 a.m., so please feel free to uh, click and like this link as we head out of here today. Uh, With that, thank you for joining us. I'm going to leave you with a short video. We're adjourned. Have a great day.
0: Our next Employer Resources webinar is a week from today on April 27th. To register for this or any of our upcoming webinars, go to awb.org and click on events. Thanks for listening.